Optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I answer your personal question? Now we're the same time. What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com TFS. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, boys and girls. Minasama. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is my job to deconstruct world-class performers. What the hell does that mean? That means that I talk to people who are really good at what they do and try to tease out the routines, habits, philosophies, belief systems, etc., that you can apply to your own life and test yourself. This episode, we do not have an entertainer. We do not have... Well, we do have an athlete. I was going to say we don't have an athlete, but we have a hell of an athlete who is now turned into one hell of a coach. Dave Camarillo, C-A-M-A-R-I-L-L-O. Dave Camarillo was for a long time my Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach, and he is a machine. In fact, uh, there was a phrase, Dave against the machine, that was used for a while. And onthemat.com once said about him, for instance, it's funny that everybody in judo is scared of David's newaza, that's his ground game, and everyone in jiu-jitsu is scared of his stand-up. We guess people in general are just scared of him. And he is a very technical coach, was a very technical fighter, and uh, there are many people who took note of this. He dominated the lightweight and openweight classes, for instance, at the 1998 Hickson Gracie American Jiu-Jitsu Association Tournament. 
and the legendary Hickson Gracie himself bestowed the honor of most technical American jiu-jitsu fighter upon David. He is an elite-level judo competitor. Uh, he is an elite-level jiu-jitsu competitor and has worked with not only people in the ground game, but many recognizable MMA figures as a, a coach and as a cornerman. And we will talk about both of those. We'll delve into his background. We'll delve into his teaching and learning style. And I think he is really unparalleled in many respects as an instructor. And uh, we also have a fair amount of ball busting and sharing of old stories that many people, most people, perhaps all of you or none of you have heard. And you can find Dave, and I highly recommend you check him out at gorillajujitsu.com. That's gorilla like sniping from the trees, not gorilla like silverback. And you can Google Dave Camarillo BJJ to find the site very easily. You can find him on Instagram, on Twitter at Dave Camarillo, and on Facebook, I believe it's just facebook.com forward slash Dave.Camarillo. But this is a fun one. We get into tactical training, military training, everything from fights in ice hockey and how to think about those to using a flashlight in a hallway to <laughs> how his mom is the best sniping shot in the entire family. So Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with my old friend, Dave Camarillo. Dave, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, man. That How was a dramatic inhale. <laughs> I'm just tripping out at your, your place. Well, you know. I feel like a little kid. Like, what's that? What's that? Where was that come from? A lot of walnut. There's uh, a lot of foliage on the wall. It's a museum. We do have a deficiency of wine, but it's a little early for that. And uh, we have... No. We, we have Go ahead. <laughs> We have quite the history uh, and the history of wine, but we've known each other for probably 12 years. It's got to be. It would have to be. The, the earliest memory is us running away from mass hysteria at an MMA show. God, the Morocco or whatever it was. Like a stabbing and then SWAT police and me going, like trying to protect your booth that you had or whatever yeah. it was. It was, complete, it was complete chaos. I remember this. This was at... Uh, casino, God knows where, and somewhere in California. I don't remember, yeah. But I recall driving there in my mom's shitty hand-me-down minivan, which I needed. So thanks, mom. But it was it was not impressing the ladies or anybody else. And I <laughs> we part, were not impressed. We were, Dave was not impressed. Uh, no romance ensued. So I, I parked that outside, and I had this. I remember this booth. It was against, basically against the wall. And there was a fighter there who was a member of a biker gang. And all of his homies sat in one of the back rows, I guess. No, they sat in the one front of the front rows. rows. And then some other drunk idiot got upset and threw like a double gulp or something towards the ring, hit one of these bikers in the back of the head. And the guy was like, oh yeah, turned around, pulled out a knife and stabbed this guy in the chest. And then all hell broke loose. I remember this. That was the craziest MMA event. I've not been to a lot and that's, that was nuts. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was complete pandemonium. And I remember crawling up and basically rock climbing, like bouldering up the side of the wall to get off of the floor because people were just trampling yeah. the table. And then you came by and saved my ass and grabbed me and pulled me back into, I guess, the, one of the warm up rooms or something. And at the end of that, I remember I went outside to go to my car a few hours later after everything had cooled off and there was blood smeared on the side of my minivan. 
<laughs> and I was like, okay. On your minivan? Yeah, on the side. Like somebody had been bludgeoned or shot or stabbed. There was blood just... Well, I'm sure people got trampled and all kinds of across stuff. across the side of the van because there was an additional round two, round three fight outside. Oh, that's but, nice. Yeah, it's always nice. So, uh, yeah, so we know each other from that. Let's see, some other color for those people who'd like some context. Uh, I have told a story many times that you're a part of, but I've never mentioned you by name. Don't worry. It's not too incriminating. When I mentioned the story of me outsourcing my dating and the booking of dates, this was in Willow Glen when we were living together and we had a lot of wine one night and we were having a debate about what could be outsourced or not. And the, That's the, right. the bet was, I think, a case of wine from your mom, I think it was. Yeah, she worked for Gallo. Yeah, exactly. So for those people who are wondering, the outsourcing your dating story that I've told a few times, uh, Dave was the inspiration for that. Yeah, that, that pops up. Like my, I got word from Gallo because they you know, searched for those <laughs> keywords and all that. And they told my mom and my mom told me, and I'm like, do you know a Tim Ferriss? <laughs> Yeah, he's he's pretty cool, dude. I know, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, anyway, and at do? at the time, uh, you were living at my place, yeah. and I'll give it just another another Dave story that comes to mind when people are asking me about. I remember uh, I was being asked at one point because I went to Iowa and got to watch the Olympic trials with Dan Gable, which was a dream come true. Hope to have him on the podcast at some point. And someone was debating someone else about headgear. Now, I'm not saying you should or should not wear headgear, but I remember one night at my house, uh, you had an ear infection and you couldn't get the Q-tip into one of your <laughs> ears. <laughs> and I was like, man, I got a lot of problems. I don't need to add to that list. <laughs> I like to get, I should be That'll able to screw get... up your modeling too. You know what I mean? The modeling... <laughs> Your earring modeling career is out. I can't wear those, what you're wearing right now. I can't wear... Oh, the earbuds. Because I have it on the inside of the ear. Uh, like I, normally it's really cool and you can see it from afar on the outside. Mm -hmm. But when you on get it on the inside, inside, it messes up the whole thing. Only on one side too. That's my, that's my dog. Uh, that's my self-defense system. <laughs> we'll be talking a lot about self-defense. Uh, the So for those people who are wondering what this is that we're referring to, it is uh, what is known as or referred to as cauliflower ear in Japanese, tako. And uh, you can check that out using the Google machine. Uh, so, so Dave, what are you keeping busy with these days? I travel a lot. I'm doing a lot of traveling. I think... Uh, for what? What I'm trying to do is what I've always tried to do is answer every question instead of just answer one question. And it's been good and bad in my life. And right now I'm using martial arts as a kind of a framework to problem solve in many different areas. And right now I'm working with my academies. We have a Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu Academies in, in Pleasanton and in San Jose. So that's kind of the base of what I'm doing right now. And when I'm traveling, I'm traveling to train military, law enforcement, and other affiliates and just people who are jiu-jitsu enthusiasts, self-defense enthusiasts, MMA enthusiasts. And at the same time, I'm still cornering fighters and just getting them prepared for, you know, kind of battling, you know, and that's just kind of a, there's so many different contexts there, jiu-jitsu, judo, wrestling, MMA, self-defense, and I have to like quickly transition and problem solve depending on who's in front of me and what, what they want. So we're going we're gonna to jump into an example of problem solving that we chatted about a little bit earlier when we we're eating omelets and drinking coffee. But uh, MMA fighters, who are some 
MMA fighters people might recognize that you've cornered? Uh, I think the most famous uh, would be Cain Velasquez, but anyone from that AKA group in that time, Cain Velasquez, John Fitch, Josh Koscheck, Mike Swick, Daniel Cormier, um, all of which who exceeded outside of MMA in other areas of fighting, like you know, kickboxing, things like that, wrestling, um, that really added to my understanding of not just gi grappling, that's what I started with, judo and jiu-jitsu, but understanding how to increase pain thresholds by being punched in the face, understanding the motivation for movement, which is being punched in the face, in the context of, of fighting, fighting in self-defense, but also mainly for MMA competition. So one of the things that has always impressed me about, for instance, your, your teaching, I haven't been cornered by you because I'm not qualified uh, remotely and I need to keep the brain cells that I have. But when I visited at the time, AKA uh, where you were then and took your class, what stunned me was how the baseline for your students seemed to be higher than other places. And what I mean by that is been to many different schools and good performers, meaning good competitors, aren't necessarily automatically good teachers, although they might think that they are. And frequently the teaching method is kind of a technique du jour, right? The instructor's like, well, what should I do today? And they sort of roll a 20-sided die if they're Dungeons and Dragons nerd, which they probably aren't. But they come up with something and they teach and there isn't really a cohesive framework or progression uh, or a foundation that they build very well. And when I, when I went to the first class and then repeated that and came back, I noticed that everybody was kind of uniformly difficult to deal with. And that was because you'd you'd used a logical progression to build a foundation that made them difficult to deal with, uh, like attacking at angles and, uh, and just a handful of kind of first principles that made them very formidable. You've also taught now, am, I, am I making this up? I might be. Sometimes I do. But did you teach? If it's good, just keep, keep going. <laughs> just <now>. use it. <laughs> did you teach chess at a period of time? I know you. I did. You did. Yeah. Now, uh, do your approaches or have your approaches to both of those been similar in any way, or has one informed the other? Chess and and fighting. Uh, I think uh, the overall like developing a framework is where you start. Like I need a framework to understand how to achieve a set goal. Okay, and then you just, you know, switch between different situations. What's the context? If it's MMA or jiu-jitsu or whatever it is. In chess, it was pretty simple. I'm like, how do I make this as simple as possible when I'm teaching kids who've never done chess in their lives? What I do is, you know, I got to get my pieces out, so I understand that, you know, and then I would talk to people. Is that, is that a yeah. thing you want? You want to get your pieces out, right? You want to control the center. Okay, I call it the bridge, control the center. And then you want to start formulating an attack. Very simple. Do those thing, those three things, understand what each piece does, and go. So, like, the technique is, like, understanding what each, what each piece does. To me, that's just, that's the simple part. To me, technique is one of the most simple aspects of getting good. It's your framework. It's your understanding how to develop, how to desensitize, how to develop a strategy to implement what you know and channel it for green lights and avoid red lights. So, like, in fights, for example, MMA, Green lights are very like quick, meaning like you punch and it lands on the guy's head. You know, a red light is if I punch, he moves and he counters and punches me. And so we're constantly finding these green lights. But if I'm f- trying to find these green lights in a situation where somebody's really, really good and 
especially like jujitsu, because it's so convoluted. There's so many variables and I don't have a strategy behind that. I don't have tactics. Then I'm kind of reactionary. And I'm just kind of like, when you do something, maybe I'll do it. And that's a skill in and of itself as a very good skill to, to possess, to develop. But it can't be everything. Your, your initial is, what's the main principles to start controlling the mid-ground? Control that mid-ground, neutralize and control my opponent. You know, take them out of their game, provide these principles, execute these principles, and neutralize. I think that's the key word is neutralize my opponent before they start gaining confidence and gaining ground on me. What are some of the differences in your, uh, let's just say, how you teach a novice in jiu-jitsu compared to perhaps other schools? What, what makes your approach, what are some of the things that you focus on yeah. or don't focus on in the beginning? So first, a lot of people talk about jiu-jitsu and they talk about, I have this type of jiu-jitsu game and a lot of them, I think, need to start at a, at a fundamental framework for a game. What does a game mean? A game is essentially how you play the game. Like, and everyone may be slightly different, but you quickly identify, I would say, the most utilized positions for top and bottom. So it's like MMA on the ground. Like you have a top and you have a bottom. And in jiu-jitsu, it's very simple. You have the attacking positions for top or side control, mount and back. For bottom, those would be defending those advantageous positions. And then there's guard, which is where most of the positional struggle, you know, comes from. You know, it's, it's hard to attack from top, trying to open the guard in this case. And on bottom, you can defend attack. So on, on the bottom, you're, you're trying to attack. But the idea is to see now how many guard systems are, are there. There's three main ones, closed guard, open guard, and half guard. So that's six positions multiplied by top and bottom. That's 12. So if I find go-to moves out of 12 positions, I have a game. Because I'm set for no matter what happens. Even if I get swept, well, where are you getting swept to? What position are you ending up? It's one of those six. And then you immediately kind of just jumpstart your game by understanding I have two moves from that position. That's how a beginner should, should take it. They should, I mean, you talk about it all the time, simplify. Keep it really simple, but get good at being simple. So in the case of, say, guard, what are some uh, principles that you underscore? And I'm associating two with you, and I want you to tell me if these are right or wrong. Uh, but one would be walking your shoulders in and getting sort of flush with your hips to the extent possible. And the second is positioning your torso at an angle. I don't know why I associate that with with early on training with you, but there were a handful of things like that that's similar to the three things you mentioned for chess. Yes. I found if I weren't rolling for, say, six to 12 months, but I just kept those things in mind, the rest would come back. Right. It's control grips, stay busy with angle, and destroy your opponent's posture. And if you're doing those things, they're constantly having to adjust to what you're doing. We, we have a saying like in uh, self-defense, like you're either behind the curve or you're ahead of the curve. And in this case, when you do things like that and disrupt base and constantly grip fight and get good at that and are constantly attacking because angles are an attack, then you're chasing your opponent down an alley. He's not chasing you. He's going to eventually stumble and you got him. How has your... So for people who aren't familiar, I'll give a little bit of context. And obviously, Dave, uh, feel free to jump in at any time. But for those who don't have martial arts background, you have judo, let's just say and uh, contrasted with jiu-jitsu. So judo, 
one could think of as primarily a standing game, although there is ground game, but they get stood up very quickly. So a lot of throws, very dynamic. It's an Olympic sport. Then jujitsu, you have a primary focus on the ground, uh, and that could be, of course, positional advantage, but then you have submissions, so chokes or joint locks, and then there's point scoring systems and so on, much like judo. Uh, just so everyone's up to speed on vocab. Also, you mentioned with a gi. For those people who don't know that term, that means a uniform. You could think of it as uh, not the Cobra Kai type uniform from Karate Kid because they those didn't are have, really cool, though. which are cool, but they don't have sleeves. See, so need sleeves, <laughs> and uh, you use the uniform, and that is uh, when we're talking about grip that can apply to the use of the fabric itself or. Without that, no gi practice, then grabbing the wrists or the head and using sort of clinching positions similar to wrestling. Um, the last piece for those nerds out there who want to know what gi is in Japanese, it's actually the same character as ki in kimono. Uh, so there you have it for the Japanophiles out there who want to nerd out. Uh, how has, because it, Dave, you're well known for coming from judo and competing at a high level and then developing a very high-level uh, jiu-jitsu game and combining those elements. So guys would be like, all right, I don't want to get triangled, so I'm going to stay standing, and then, uh-oh, flying armbar later, something you became pretty well-known for. Uh, then, they, then they would say, all right, I don't want to get flying armbar, and I'm going to go to the ground, and then they get <laughs> triangled. How has... Uh, are there elements of judo that you still apply in your jiu-jitsu or teach in your jiu-jitsu? the sense of urgency that you have in judo that does not exist on that level in jiu-jitsu. Uh, it exists in MMA because you're getting hit in the head, but the idea is I need to move. I'm very obligated, very motivated uh, to move because I don't have a lot of time, especially when you go on the ground. As you uh, talked about, you know, judo has, you know, tachiwaza and neiwaza. Tachiwaza is the standing technique where we throw each other. Neiwaza is the groundwork. We're vying for position. We're looking for osaikomi, which is the incapacitation of, of your opponent on the ground. And when, when I hit the ground, I, I grew up in a culture of, I don't have a lot of time. I really got to get something going because if you don't progress your position, the referee will just halt the match using mate, restart the match. So you've lost your opportunity on the ground. And so rules dictate behavior. So you see a lot of judoka who don't focus on the ground because it, there's not a necessity to do that. Things are changing now, but Travis Stevens did an amazing job in the Olympics on the ground because he cross-trains. And I think I was maybe one of the first person to start cross-training. Um, and the reason why I cross-trained is it, it's something new. Like, how many uchikomi can you do in judo? Uchikomi is repetition of half throws. We're doing this over and over. And, this, and when I talk about the difference between judo and jiu-jitsu, like I've drilled you know, a seonagi, for example, which is a judo throw, or a ogoshi, which is a hip throw where you're controlling the hip and you're throwing your opponent on his back, I don't know, 100,000, 200,000 times. Yeah, because you can, you can rack up a thousand of those in a workout. Or oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. And then five a, a day or five a week times two, sometimes twice a day. Um, so that whole 10,000 hours idea. Um, but how many, how many of those did I get in competition? not even a fraction, it's like less than 1%. But the idea is my, my mind is ready to commit and commit at the right time and not at the wrong times, find those green lights. But the second you hit the ground, if you're going to take advantage of another opportunity, you need to educate yourself. 
And back then, I just don't think judo had a structure that jiu-jitsu possesses on the ground. And so part of it was my ego saying, you know, you, you know, jiu-jitsu guys are not doing anything I'm, I don't know. The other part was, well, maybe they are. And I have to figure this out and find out. And I remember the first time I went to Health Gracie's Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Pleasant Hill, California, and he was submitting me with his hands behind my back, or his back, not my back, <laughs> or hands behind his head, actually. And I was trying to pass his legs, which is his guard, and he's on bottom, I'm on top. And I have all of this angst, and 19 years old, I was like a world-level competitor, and I was really, really fast and young and dumb, you know how it is. And I couldn't pass his legs. <laughs> I'm still dumb. I'm yeah. just not fast yeah. anymore. And we're not young anymore. <laughs> um, but I couldn't pass his legs. And next you know, he's like doing Sankaku Jime, the, the triangle, choke triangle choke position off his, off his back. And I'm like tapping out and he's not using his arms. And I'm like, isn't failure awesome? Like that was a point in my life where I was just like, man, it's failure over and over again. And I'm glad at that point that I had the ego to keep rebooting and driving forward and do the same stupid thing over and over again. Because, it's like because then then you didn't you knew it wasn't a fluke, right? Like if I put my hand in fire, you're probably not going to put your hand back in fire. But I'm glad I kept putting my hand back in this fire and getting burnt and burnt and burnt, and it really elevated me to like there's something here that I don't understand and I need to do for the rest of my life. And, and I, I've had that in many aspects of my life. And every time I come to a new corner, it, it's the same, you know, I do this mistake. I, like we did combat, when I started getting into combatives, I remember the uh, shock knife training. Have you ever done this? Oh, do you remember this? I, I don't remember this. You might not have done it. But the I, shock I, knife, I've never used a shock knife. It has should, scarred should, me both physically and emotionally. So I'll never. You should explain what it is. Okay. So shock knife training, we're kind of jumping all over the place. Shock knife training is essentially adding uh, the motivation of pain to a supposed like real life situation. Yeah, so like a simulated scenario, knife attack, a simulated role played knife situation. And we would have our hands and I would teach this in Mac, they call it Mac P modern army combatives program. I'm level four certified, which is the highest. But anyway, through that training, I put my hands on the wall. Mac P is pretty good rap. Stage Mac name also. <laughs> We're not there yet, bro. Yeah, it's, we're, coming. We're, it's coming. Don't don't worry, guys. We're gonna get to Dave's freestyle. <laughs> Continue. My hands are on this wall, and the instructor's like face forward, and there's like six guys, and we're all side by side, hands on the wall, like like a I don't know police line or whatever. I don't know. And then he would throw the this shock knife, and essentially what a shock knife is, you can grab it. It's got a blade part, a handle part. And it's got this really cool button on it. And when you press the button, and it's cranked all the way up, by the way, because there's a level you can throttle, you know, this thing up. You press the button and you see the sparks on the blade. You hear it, which is probably worse than seeing it. And then feeling it, which is even worse than that. And essentially, it's not going to scar you physically so much as it is like mentally. Like I've had best friends that I hated because we're doing this drill. So they would throw the shock knife. Now, by throw, you mean just uh, touch you with it? No, no, no. They would throw it on the ground, and we all oh. had to fight for it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's turned on. It's ready to go. You'd have to press the button and stab people. <laughs> Something. Wow, this is some so, like sci-fi Lord of the Rings. And shit. we already the first, before the drill starts, you, everyone gets shocked, right? So they're like, you hey, know what's coming? We mean business. So we're clawing, fighting, cursing to try to get this stupid. And I still have it. This shock knife, 
and stab each other with it. So it's 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 basically like a taser in the shape of a knife. I mean, effectively, it's a sort of electrified. But it doesn't. It, you know, it doesn't incapacitate you. Right. Got it. Got it. Which is worse because then you can be held down, which I was, <laughs> and essentially shocked over and over again by John Fitch, who's my <laughs> stupid partner. Hey, I got it. Let's partner you up because normally you do it with just. You normal should explain people. who John Fitch. <laughs> is for folks john fitch uh, is one good, of the best pretty. fighters at welterweight in history so he was ranked number two for five years when i was training him pretty he good fought gsp in ufc he's now the current world uh uh what's the the event he fights and i'm sorry i, I don't know the uh, exact, he, he just won a big t- world champion title yeah. and uh he was also uh was it wrestling captain at purdue at purdue captain at the american kickboxing academy for the mixed martial arts program which is probably the best in the world in the entire world and he was a gorilla jiu-jitsu black belt <laughs> is there anything else we could like no no, no and he I, outweighed me by 20 pounds and i've sparred with john uh sweetheart of a guy i mean we super say. nice guy but you put him in a uh shock knife drill <laughs> Yeah, you have a real task on your hands. You could be blood brothers yeah. and then ruined relationships. Like, <laughs> just throw a shock knife and train. And then then the idea is like the second somebody got it, and it's kind of a double-edged sword, he becomes the enemy and you have to collectively work to take that shock knife away from him. There was different, they would, you know, variations of, right, the, of the drill. Yeah. And uh, I have video of me you know, using very colorful language, being held down, sweating, and my partner on top is John Fitch, where he could do that just punching me. Right. But hey, let's give him a knife. <laughs> now, let, let's talk about problem solving, because I've always admired how methodically you can think through, for instance, as you mentioned earlier, the 12 conceivable, was it? Yeah, 12 conceivable positions, right? So if you have your go-to and then your backup, right? I'm just thinking about, say, half guard is is particularly uh, uh, a weak position for me that comes to mind where having a go-to and a backup and just having those two. It's like, no, you're not going to accumulate 27. Work on getting really good at those two. And that saved my ass in situations where I was caught in a relative position of weakness because I had, I was able to act quickly also having those two defaults. So the point being, problem solving you're good at it and thinking through the different permutations of positions uh talk about or share what what you were explaining to me earlier we only got part way through it so flashlight hockey go go um (laughs) so i tend to get random texts i would say problem solving texts and they could be jujitsu related judo related from different students uh my buddy who's a retired marine sent me a text. He's like, do you have a curriculum fighting with a flashlight? I'm like, no, but give me five minutes. And I say that with confidence, essentially, because I've done so many different types of training with different people under different rule sets or no rules or whatever the situation in different environments. And, and, and everything I say right now is just running down the stairs of, of variations and variables. And, and just to underscore something that people may be wondering you also are no stranger to weaponry I mean, you know how to use firearms you know how to use uh, these various tools and have a lot of experience it's not like you're 
uh, combative, naive going into it, thinking about doing some type of gi choke as the only approach in some self-defense. Situation. Right. So yeah, you're you're somewhat creative, understanding that you're increasing your 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 spectrum of you know tool sets. So I grew up with a, with parents who hunt, and I grew up killing my own meat and and shooting and 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 then when I started training military, I, I did a lot of you know, firearms training with pistols and, and who's and, the best and shot in your family M4s and stuff like that. My mom is the, hopefully my dad doesn't listen to this, but <laughs> my mom is the best shot in the family. She's a different kind of shot or shooter than my father. My father can do it under stress very quickly. Like it's an just instinctive shooter. Instinctive shooter. He, he shot a, uh, it was a, I think it was a, a deer running 50 yards in the head. And we, I mean, the bullet happened to hit the, the deer in the head, but like like I said, like he he can quickly bring that gun up and pull the trigger, you know, and get things going, apply those you know incremental fundamental uh, nuances quickly. Mm-hmm. Where my mom, if you give her a rest, she's like a sniper, like rest, just hang out, four hundred, five hundred yard shots, no problem. Which uh, coincidentally is not that uncommon. There are historically a lot of uber successful female snipers. Every time we go shooting, you know, if I take a student or something, and I can see the difference between men and women very, very quickly. And, and you know, there, there's, it seems that they're so much more patient, willing to accept failure, go down the list. Right. Um, so my mom has been an amazing, I would say, influence on, on, on accepting failure to a crazy type A personality that I've developed... <laughs> Probably since the womb, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, so you so you have this familiarity with weaponry, which I just wanted to make clear to folks that we're not dealing with someone who's speculating. Uh, did he give you any parameters on the flashlight? So I said, well, I want a little bit more of the story. Like, what's the situation? Well, home invasion hallway. You're surprised, um, because I would I would think if you're if if that's the case, then you maybe have a gun or something, but um. In this case, okay, so I'm restricted to the flashlight. I'm like, okay, so put that aside for a second. And I remember recently putting together a fight camp for a hockey player, plays in the NHL, one of the top teams, right? Um, and he came down for a four-day fight camp. And I'm starting to get good at like developing these fight camps that specifically cater to individuals that fight, but under different rules. It could be judo, it could be jujitsu. In this case, <laughs> NHL. hockey, NHL. So I talked to this guy, I forgot his name. I think it's like Scott McIntyre. You know, excuse me if I'm wrong, but he's, you know, full on like Canadian accent. And I was doing research. Okay, so I'm talking to this guy. I'm like, you were a bruiser. You know, so, so is give he, me some feedback. He was an enforcer? He was, he's an enforcer and he's retired. My buddy gave me his number. So I'm like, I'm trying to do research and I need to talk to somebody who's been in the field, been in the hockey field, been in fights, but why not talk to someone who's a bruiser, who's really good at it, right? And the man, I want to put him, you should have him on, on the podcast. Just listen, just, just do that. You would do this. You go explain hockey fights and then put the mic in front of him and, and that's he the will just go. <laughs> Sounds like a great episode. I've, was, met, I've met one enforcer and I have to say, if the rest of them are like him, they are terrifying. 
Yeah, so it's the same. It's the same. And and like he goes back and forth between, yeah, you get you could get brain damage, but but man, I like the way that things used to be, you know, and we would just fight and it was just about, you know, the guy, especially when I had kids, he would just try to take food off my kids' plate and all that. And I'm just like, go, just keep going. So he finally got to the technique part and it was just all, I'm laughing. I'm already laughing and I'm like, I'm having a great time, but I'm also learning. It's an education because under those specific circumstances, the rules change and there's technique like these guys know how to fight so how do you fight in a hockey match? okay so since you have a jersey which is very much like a gi you know we have that friction of grabbing the best place to grab is inside the shoulder inside the so the right shoulder yeah so if he moved forward on you he's immediate there's a backstop with your grip there's a backstop with your grip if he moves in okay so if you grab for instance around the sort of where the pec meets the deltoid on the their right side, you're basically blocking their dominant arm. If so if you're right-handed, you're going to use your left. Yeah, got it. To control a few things, control his movement. So you can move him up, down, left, right. Mm-hmm. You can off-balance him like the Kazushi we talked about. So Kazushi, just so people understand, um, because we mentioned the Uchikomi, but not Kazushi. Mm. Kazushi, uh, so there, Kazushi is breaking of the balance in judo, where you initiate the breaking of the balance of your opponent and then... Uh, what is it? Is it kake? No. Kake is when you, I think kake is when you place your body then in the throwing position and then nage is when you're throwing. So yeah, Kazushi is throwing off balance. Right. Um, so you're able to, able to control movement, but you're also able to defend against his right hand. So if I'm using my left hand, I'm defending against your right hand. Hopefully you're right-handed, but they'll make adjustments, right? Yep. But when the gloves go down, you have to know, I would assume you would have to know that player played against that team before, you can nerd out on this and go, I think he's a right-handed player. But then you see a stance, then you're like making these quick adjustments. You get your grip and you're also kind of shielding yourself with that grip. So you'll raise your elbow as his right hand comes across to try to connect with your head. You can use your helmet also like a shield. So we're nerding out on all these little details. That's the right, left side, sorry. Right hand, which is I'm right-handed. I'm punching you in the face or in the body. I'm clearing your grip because you're trying to do the same thing to me, essentially. And I'm uh, parrying and blocking and trying to make you go down before I go down. <laughs> and then he'll explain all this, this guy, McIntyre guy. He'll explain all this and then he goes, but really, you just got to be tougher than the other guy and just keep punching him really violently until he goes down. Like, it, he would go back and forth between, <laughs> here's the technique, but then in the end, just get out there and just beat the guy up. You know what I mean? Like, it just became like, in, like detailed to totally like a bonfire of just recklessness and <laughs> violence. Crazy. You know what I mean? Well, you know, it's, you know, it's so funny about that. It makes me think about... <clears throat> At one point, when I first started doing uh, Muay Thai, and I haven't trained in any any of this stuff in in ages, so I mean, a Pomeranian could kick my ass right now. But the uh, <laughs> it's, it's true. Uh, the when I first started training in Muay Thai, I hadn't done any Thai kickboxing that was legitimate up to that point. I mean, I I'd done kind of like Mall Ninja kickboxing, which was like you know nineteen eighties flashy shit. And I remember going in, I'm hyper analytical and I'm taking a class with this incredible world champion dive fighter. And we're talking, he's talking to me or, you know, trying to talk to me about teaching mid, sort of mid kicks, right? Like body kicks. 
And I'm like, well, should it come up? And his English is not fantastic. And uh, I'm like, well, should it come up at this angle? Come straight in, come down. Like, do you want to hit the ribs? Do you want to go for right under the armpit? You're saying this. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. asking all these questions. And he, he understands the question. He looks at me, he goes, he goes don't matter. Just kick harder. Pong, pong, hop, hop, pong, pong. And he had all the sound effects he used to try to illustrate. And he's just like, what are you talking about? Just fucking kick him really hard. That's all you have to do. It's like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, it doesn't matter where you hit him. It'll hurt. Just kick him really hard. I was like, oh, okay. That's awesome. That's so, that's exactly how it was. It's like, in the end, you just got to be tough. So you're studying the, you're thinking back to the hockey parallels. Yes. To the flashlight assignment. So if I develop a curriculum where I'm using elements of, of the hockey kind of fight, I would say, you know, range like you can call it hockey pocket like because we call it the pocket in boxing you're right there where he can hit you and you can hit him instead of fully clinch like if it's a home invasion i don't know who they're with and you get surprised you know what i mean like around the corner whatever that's the kind of situation that we're dealing with and and then you have a flashlight so that's that's the kind of like parameters i'm working with the first thing i would do is is get a grip to control the threat you're controlling the person in front of you um and then utilize the flashlight. And, and remember, it, it's it's going to sound violent for people, but you're in your home and you're protecting your family situation, kind of. And so I even started nerding out on the grip on the flashlight. Like, so I know MMA has hammer fists. I mean, we can punch straight. A hammer fist is, is just like I have a hammer in my hand. So I'm, I'm bringing my, the blade of my wrist down on the body or the head not the back of the head because I don't want to break my hand, but traditionally yeah. in the in the what we call the triangle of the head. So the triangle of the head is kind of like like third like, eye. Yeah. All the way into the jawline to where you can That's, essentially uh, either blind them by by creating uh fluid in the eye. Because mm-hmm. you know, you I can poke you in the eye and the fight can be over. Really is sure. you happens can't all, see happens me, all the time. Happens all the time. Um and just for people who are having trouble visualizing Hammerfist, imagine uh, Andre the Giant in Princess Bride. How he punches. Sort of smack such a good big guy on the top of the head. Or, if you prefer uh, Bloodsport, the redneck, his first fight. I'm dating myself here. But um, <laughs> yeah, you make a fist and instead of hitting with the front of the fist, you're hitting with the bottom of the fist, effectively. But if you haven't seen those movies, come on. You have to, yeah. To be culturally relevant and respected, I think, in the United States, you need to watch both of those. But... Uh, continue. So I'm forced to face, you know, this threat. You know, usually we'd have tactics to kind of get offline. We do this in jujitsu. We do this in everything we do. So if I'm offline, I'm outside of your radar. Meaning, if you're facing forward and I'm, we'll just keep it easy. Like I'm behind you. You're not punching me. But if you're coming up the stairway, or turning the corner, and it's a narrow, or if you're against the board, I can't hockey. create angles. Yeah. Or I'm against the board. Now, hockey, you mentioned or, something earlier, the creating the T position or going to T? Fighting to a T. Right. Like the letter T. No, no, no. Understood. Yeah. So, so you're basically trying to get your shoulders... Well, you want to be standing at the side of your opponent because you can hit them, but they can't hit you. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's good boxing. So right. I get an angle, punch you. And as you correct, I'm getting the angle because now we're both moving in the same direction. So I pop out on the other side. I can't do any of those. So I have to develop worst case scenario in the pocket, a savage situation where I have to quickly kind of escalate things. And so you grab the, yeah, you grab the flashlight, you blind them, you grab them and you proceed to use the flashlight as a, as a tool. I'll on, say on their 
their triangle of of pain. Right. Preferably. So the idea is you can develop these. Do you have a favorite <laughs> flashlight for such a situation? Yeah, there's a surefire. There's a really good. Yeah, it's like a five eleven. It's got that you can. I carry it everywhere. It's in my backpack right now. But you can like break windows and stuff like. That. But you know, you know how they like market things like you can break windows like. Well, I don't want to break windows. Like I would never break a window. But if I had, but to they use can't. It, say, I guess maybe maybe their legal team's like, no, you can't say we'll rip the eye orbit out of any assailant. So just say it'll break windows. Well, that's the idea, though. But if it's like me or you, like I got to use my surroundings. That's the idea behind self defense. It's not just my empty hand capabilities. Not just all these principles that we talk about, like getting angles and things like that. But it's like I strip you of all that. Then what do you got? Well, I got a pillow. I got, just, you know, I can use it as a distraction. I can do all kinds of things like that. But uh, we're surrounded by tools, you know, and that's one of the things that I've, I've learned over the years is use your surroundings like MacGyver, you know what I mean? But in a self-defense context, you know. So a question for you then uh, about, and then I want to talk a little bit about cornering fighters. Uh, self-defense, what are the biggest misconceptions about self-defense? or uh, unhelpful or dangerous things that are commonly taught for self-defense? I think, let's start with what's, I think, the most important for somebody who doesn't have a lot of, tra- lot of time to train. I think that's a better start. So I think understanding, I would say, uh, a, a conceptual understanding of how do I avoid certain circumstances, certain situations. So for example, Law enforcement will have on a board of different cities and then put tax on there on different crimes like violent crime that tend to accumulate in certain areas. This is just the way I explain it. Well, don't go to those areas. So avoid these conflicts. Like it's, it's very simple. Don't like you taught me one time, you know, if you don't want cho- like eat chocolate, like if you love chocolate, but you know, it's bad for you. Don't have it in your house. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like I learned that from you. I'm like, man, so I, I don't have any chocolate in my house. Um, but avoid, like avoid, like literally like avoid don't being sit. caught off guard, for yeah, example. Yeah. Like, don't, don't sit at the table right next to the entrance in the coffee shop with your $4,000 you laptop. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but don't allow yourself to be distracted. Don't allow your, yourself to, to look like a victim. So I, I teach people to like own their walk, the way you walk, the way you carry yourself, because the bad guys will just say, right. They're very much like animal predators. They look for weakness. They don't want an entanglement. They don't want to struggle. Like a shark, even. It's assessing fat content versus how much struggle will it be to end that life to, con- to consume it. I don't want to injure myself. And so the idea, like, I don't know if you see, like, really strong, confident-looking people walking around not looking at their cell phone getting attacked. I mean, I'm sure it can happen, but you're lowering the ratio to which that you you can become a victim. And I think that's the first part of, 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 of avoidance. It's not, what technique can I use right now? It's not putting yourself in a situation where the likelihood of something bad happening. It's lowering the well, likelihood. Like the same of, reason yeah. that I've stopped in my advancing years. <laughs> uh, staying out really late. It's just like past 1 a.m., it's like the likelihood of something awesome happening is like one in 20. I mean, the likelihood the freaks of freaks come out at night, bro. It does. Bad happening, true. But also like otherwise normal people turn into complete idiots or savages when they have had 
three too many drinks. Oh yeah. Uh, the uh, so, so so understood the situational awareness from a technical standpoint. If somebody is let's just say someone's had a scary encounter, they almost got mugged or they did get mugged. They're like, you know what? I need to develop some repertoire. I live in a bad neighborhood. I can't move right now. I just need to have the ability to defend myself uh, without maybe maybe without weapons. Uh, what would your advice to them be? So you're walking out without weapons, but you potentially could face someone with a weapon. It, that That's yeah. the thing. Like how far, like the question arises, how far are you willing to go to actually defend yourself? You know what I mean? That's That's the first question. So what's your threshold? What's your mental capacity to, you know, dig deep and make, make it happen? Make your family safe, make yourself get out of that situation. Sometimes it, it's assessing the situation for what it is. Then there's another part, desensitizing yourself to many things. That's what jiu-jitsu does. Getting grabbed, getting choked, getting punched. You know what I mean? If I get punched, we'll talk about that for a second. If I get punched and, and I, it rattles me, then I get punched again, it rattles me again, and then it just continues. It spirals. An MMA fighter gets punched and they either smile or you, or they move their head before you punch them or if you punch them, they're like, okay, cool, I'm going to fight, cool. Because they've been there so many times. Like getting lost or say traveling, I, I use this analogy. If you travel and have never been to a certain city and you tell me all about the city, but I, I'm going to get lost. I've been there 10 times. The next time I go there, I'm like, okay, I know where I'm at no matter what. I'm barely paying attention to driving. It's just like, I got it. No problem. It's this sense of comfort that you develop under stress. So like immediately when something happens, you know, you know something's going down, what's your mind doing? If it's freaking out, then it doesn't matter what technique I teach you because the, the will to execute is going to be stagnant. So I, I, this makes me think of a conversation I had with a woman named Whitney Cummings on this podcast, and she's a fantastic stand-up comic. And I asked her if you had to prep someone to go do an open mic in, I think I gave her four weeks, how would you train them? And she said, night one and every night thereafter, I'd have them get up on stage for 10 minutes. Because stage, being comfortable on stage is 80 or 90% of it, and materials at most 10%. So you got to get comfortable on stage. Does that mean that if you're training someone in jiu-jitsu, for instance, or combatives that you have them spar very quickly. How do you simulate that uh, if you do, just getting them comfortable with discomfort? Incrementally. And I look at the client. Like, I look at you and I, I'm like, what is this guy used to? So, let's say he's like military but have, has never sparred before. We can start kind of in the middle. We'll do drills. I'll, we'll do specific drills where we face each other and we punch each other but you're blocking but it's light punching and you as a good coach you control the intensity level so that there's no it's not getting out of control. There's no emotions because during this training and I've seen it all at, at different levels but it gets emotional. Like you punch me and you're like hey that was too hard. What are you doing? I don't verbally do that. Yeah, if you don't, I come back at you. Right. And then it's like that cartoon where like, you know, one little knife and then a gun and it, it just keeps escalating until you see the little world and they're big. Oh, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know what you're talking Like spy It just spy spirals stuff. out of control and emotions and people forget that we're human beings and that we should be civilized and all that. And that goes out the window. So a good coach has to control the intensity level to which these drills are experienced. But if I have somebody who's never done anything, it's incremental. And you, you work on their pace. But everyone has the, I would say, ability to push their envelopes, escalate, like move, I would say, upwards from where they're at. It's just like you said, 
you learn by doing like Whitney Cummings. She said, get out there. Yeah. Get you on know, stage. Get out there and, and anticipate failure because you're going to fail right away. So, so if you were, let's just say, uh, we're not talking about military. We're talking about c- civilian, non-military who maybe lives in a scary neighborhood. I mean, there I'm, we're in San Francisco right now. There's some gnarly neighborhoods uh, that, that where people have been shot, where people get robbed. I mean, there's certainly more than a handful of spots. And because it costs $4,000 a month to live in a broom closet here, maybe they're in one of those neighborhoods. And let's just say they are 35-year-old female, former high school athlete, so a little athletics, non-college. Okay, so it was like a competitive, making this up, soccer player. So, and has maintained a decent semblance of shape, but non is non-competitive. Uh, and she's talking to her friends, going online. She's like, okay, well, I don't think I'm going to do any esoteric Chinese Kung Fu or anything like that, but I've narrowed it down to Thai kickboxing, uh, Judo, Jiu-Jitsu, Krav Maga, and boxing. What should I do? Okay, so... I've seen at least all of those. So (laughs) I've seen Krav Maga. I haven't trained it, but I've definitely studied it as a student, not as a student, but like observing it from, I'm like, because I'm interested as a researcher. I think Krav Maga is excellent. The only thing is it, there's a spectrum for everything. So low intensity to high intensity, right? It's very high intensity. A self-defense encounter also has a spectrum. So I can, the number one goal of a self-defense encounter is to de-escalate the situation, to make things safe and calm. Now you can throttle up and throttle down to make that happen. If you're only used to throttling up, you're cutting out 80% or 60, whatever, you're cutting out the lower end of that spectrum. So for example, I'll give you a perfect example, Muay Thai too. Muay Thai is like dangerous stuff, man. But I was in my house and I had a friend who got intoxicated. And he was so intoxicated, everyone handles their alcohol differently, but he started becoming obnoxious and touchy and pushy. Well, he pushed somebody I care very much about. And I, okay, it's like red flag. And I started getting in between them. And he was just thinking it was a joke. And I remember the moment to which I had to go hands on. I'm like, okay, I'm going hands on. And I'm kicking this guy out of my house. I ha- he has to go. I'm not mad at him. It just, just has to be resolved. He, this has to be resolved. Well, let's say I only did like Muay Thai. I like Muay Thai. Am I going to clinch him and knee him? And, you know what I mean? And high kick him in the head? <laughs> I'm not saying that's what you would do, but like... Yeah. You're, 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 the palette with which you can paint is limited to things that are going to inflict and what you're used serious to doing. damage. Yeah, yeah. And so I use jujitsu in a standing position. He was standing and I'm not throwing him on the ground. I'm just going to use jujitsu. Well, I wrapped his arms up because I noticed he was also, remember, this is my friend and he's still my friend. I don't care. Like just, that's the way. Just no more tequila shots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying to, yeah. Uh, so I wrapped up his arms because I noticed he had a knife on him Ooh. and I'm not saying that he's going to use that knife, but right. few things going on, just my perspective. I decided to go hands-on, which means I'm not turning back. Once I've decided I can't turn back because that invites him to continue the behavior, which I don't want, it's gotten out of hand. 
And I'm desensitized enough to be composed to not throttle up and to see how the threat can spiral and get worse. So if my end goal is to de-escalate the situation, I don't want to give him an opportunity to escalate it any further. Right. If you... And so if I... If you give him some kind of like push kick and Muay Thai yeah. and then he whips out then he starts Kershaw then like, or whatever. You know, because I don't know what's going on in his head. Maybe now it's like survival. So he grabs a knife. He does, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's out of his head. And I don't want to hurt my friend. So I wrapped his arms up and put him against my, my door. And he couldn't even move. So I, I neutralized his ability to escalate by getting a knife or whatever it is or even hitting me. And I was able to look at him face to face while wrapping him up and say, hey man, you need to calm down right now. And then that tone comes in to totally like tell him, physically he knows he's under control. Now it's verbal. Hey, I'm giving you an out right now. You need to calm down right now or it's going to get much worse. Like I'm not yelling and screaming, but I'm very firm and like, this is your only way out essentially, is through my door so that we don't have to what do happened? this anymore. I got him out. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> okay, so he, he slowly left. calmed down and realized, and literally you could see a switch go off like, okay, wow. I, first off, he didn't realize that it got, had gotten out of control. Yeah. And then he realized how much control I had of him, which I think helps him come to that first conclusion. And that's how, that's how you de-escalate a situation where not all self-defense confrontations are life-threatening. I mean, they, they, they could spiral like we talked about, but he's my buddy. Like, I don't want to hurt my buddy. It's just one of those things. So when your system that you choose, in my opinion, and this is what we nerd out on and focus on, is understanding and, and giving you the tools that you need to be composed and also throttle it up if you need to and throttle it down. That starts with mental composure, but we have the technique to do that as well and control the elements that would give you the opportunity to kind of spiral things out of control. And that's what law enforcement, same thing with law enforcement. That's what oh, they, even more so with law enforcement. You, you know, and that's why in, in a lot it, of oh, it's very tricky with law enforcement because they're dealing with life and death situations. I don't think I was, you know what I mean? But I'm prepared for it. But I, I don't think I was. Would you therefore recommend jujitsu as step one for the 35-year-old former soccer player female living in the Tenderloin in San Francisco. 100%. This has no relation to me, you know, that being my business. And like, <laughs> never ask a barber if you need a haircut. <laughs> Lesson number one. Like that surgeon, I asked him, do I need surgery? He's like, yes. <laughs> you're like, oh, wait, that's wait, you're a what surgeon. you paid for. <laughs> I had a torn bicep and I'm glad I did not get the surgery, let's just say. Uh, okay, so I had this conversation on my podcast. Like, I'm like, what is the greatest martial art? What is it? And I'm always reluctant to say jiu-jitsu is the greatest martial art because I'm very big on, I need to get to a point where I can say that with extreme confidence. Because there's always this, like, I see a lot of people that, you know, you have a jiu-jitsu black belt who only did jiu-jitsu, say jiu-jitsu is the greatest martial art in the world. And I'm like, I agree with you, but why? <laughs> like, why do you think it is? You know, I've sampled so many different, I've been so uncomfortable training, shock-knifed, on the bottom of like Cain Velasquez punching me in the face, um, doing big, shooting big, drills and just... Big, big, strong unit. For any for those people who don't know who he is, you should look him up. Getting uh, yeah grounded and pounded by Cain. Probably one of the best heavyweights in the history of UFC. Um, you know, that 
all the way to using very simple controlled techniques and movements to corral someone out of my house. You know, that's the spectrum that I deal with. But that's jujitsu. We offer it with our system. And I see like in a lot of other arts, it's not necessarily that capable. Without, without saying like, we're better than you. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's something for everybody. But if you're telling me 34-year-old school teacher who's never done anything in their lives, you have to check out jujitsu because a lot of the situation, especially women, that potentially could find themselves on the ground. Right, because the yeah. motivations yeah. are often different, right? It's not someone trying to kill you. It's someone trying to rape you. Right. Now, if you're 20 years old and or 15 years old or whatever it is, and you just want to do MMA and you want to fight professionally, well, then do, go do MMA. That's great. But you better have good jiu-jitsu anyway. You know what I mean? Like, that's such a component. It's, it's, it's what I call a universal usage. It has universal usage. You can compete. You can nerd out on the self-defense aspect. You can apply it to MMA context. You can use it in self-defense. You know, guys can use it going to war. You know, you can do it forever. It's the one sparring, I would say, art that you can do forever. Like, hey, Tim, right now, I'm going to ask you a question. You ready? I'm ready. Do you want to do randori, like judo randori? No. Right now, hard, 100%? No, I do not. No. <laughs> What's randori? Randori is free sparring. And uh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to catch some hard corners no matter what. So just imagine, for those of the people who don't understand, that we have that gi on and, and we're grabbing each other and we're trying to lift each other off the ground with technique. Off balance you, lift you off the ground, apply our technique. And then once you're off the ground, essentially I have total control of you. So I will slam you on the ground as hard as I can. And the harder and the more on your back you land, the more pure it is and the more chance yeah, the match the more is over. Points you're gonna receive. And that's essentially the goal. Go. Yeah. When you're 40 years old, you don't want to do Randor. <laughs> but we can still, me and you, get our geese on or no gi, it doesn't matter, and actually grapple in jujitsu and do it pretty much for the rest of our lives, like we talked about, with a good partner. So the longevity aspect of it, it's, it's outmatched in the sparring arts. You can spar. We can go back and forth and have resistance and have a set goal of you choking me, me choking you couple of just random, they're not really random, they're related to this, but I'm so curious because I don't know if I've actually asked you this. Uh, what is your go-to technique? This is called tokoiwaza in judo. And it's kind of your specialty uh, for throws. What was your tokoiwaza? Tomonagi. Tomoinagi. So tomoinagi, it's a beautiful throw. So for those people who are wondering what the hell this is, it's, it's kind of like the Captain Kirk throw. He did this in Star Trek once where you pull the guy, you put your foot on his stomach and then kick him over the top but there are a million and one variations to that um just one recommendation for people if you want to see a guy who used this at a super high level hard name to spell kashiwazaki this guy named Ka- kashiwazaki yeah kashiwazaki was not only exactly not only a tomoinage specialist but a ground specialist he was one of the greatest oh, of all time one of the greatest and he would use tomoinage to throw people into uh a mount, he would be in the mounted position. Uh, so he he is one of the vi- he was one of the, I don't know if you knew this he was one of the very first Japanese high level judo competitors cross trained in Brazilian jiu jitsu. He cross trained? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, I picked up a Japanese magazine maybe ten years ago, and it was it was Kashiwazaki and some Brazilian guys he'd been training with for ages. 
So not during his competition. I don't or, or know. During the early years, it was so. Uh, all I saw was the it was the headline in an article in this magazine that I used to love. That's amazing. In Japan from fifteen to sixteen called uh, Kakutogi Tsushin. Long story. Kakutogi is martial arts, basically. Kakutogi. Um, yeah, Kakutogi Tsushin. So I used to always buy that magazine, and then I'd I'd skip all the professional wrestling bullshit and go straight to the MMA stuff, which at the time was called. Uh, I guess it was Sogo Kaktogi, something like that. Back in like the Pancras days and all that, before UFC. And when Ken Shamrock was known as Wayne Shamrock in Japan for some reason, I have no idea why. And he had long hair. This is way, way back oh, in I the remember, day. I remember, man. Yeah, way back in the day. Wow. And uh, so Kashiwazaki, if K A S H I W A Z A K I, it's worth looking up. But so Tomoinage was your. Your go-to. You, Another guy, Flavio Canto. Flavio Canto. Canto. Where's he from? Brazil. How do you spell his last name? C-A-N-T-O. Okay. Flavio, Flavio Canto. Friend of mine. He's He had good Niwaza as well. And I think that's, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. Like, I like the ground. I like the Tachiwaza. What's your favorite throw? A throw that I can kind of do both. That gets me into a great Niwaza position, me in a position if I yeah. don't get Ipong. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Tomoe Nage, that's a great one. Kashiwazaki did this amazing thing. But it's not a universal throw. What do you mean by that? It's not a good self-defense throw. Right. right and I, right, and right, I make right. that point because a lot of people go down these like rabbit holes and they do things that have nothing, there's no, very little relation to sure. a universal sense. So I can do it in judo, I can do it in jiu-jitsu, I can do it no gi, so no uniform. I can do it in MMA, I can do it in self-defense. What are your favorite... So my favorite standing techniques in judo, I would have to say, are foot sweeps because they're just so beautiful yeah. when they're done properly. Do you have any favorite foot sweeps? Oh, yeah. Uh, sasai. It's like... Sasai Tsurikomiyashi. Yes. So that's, that's the long one. S-A-S-A-E. I encourage people to look this up. Uh, it's a beautiful <laughs> throw. It's so beautiful. And wrestlers can do this also. Yes. From an underhook position. You see it's that... It's universal. Even at, exactly. At the high NCAA levels, you see people... I don't know what they call it in English in wrestling, but from from underhooks, you'll see people do this. Uh, be- beautiful throw. So for people who like a foot sweep is essentially taking somebody, sweeping their foot out like it's like it says, but like you can have their feet go above their head, their head go down, and them land on their back. Yeah, it's I'd say I think it's the quickest way to embarrass somebody. And it's it's also and that's a, it, that, it looks like a magic trick when it's done properly yeah. because you'll you'll see these ex I mean people who are masters in this. They'll time it. They'll get the person, and and you see this type of practice a lot in judo. They'll entrance the person almost into walking and shuffling the way they want them to walk and shuffle, and they'll time the steps with sort of unweighting of one foot, and in that millisecond, like that nanosecond, it's kind of like the instant that all of the feet of a horse are off the ground when they're racing, tiny little motion with the foot and this person just levitates. They go completely horizontal. Moves like that and and understanding how you elevate yourself as a martial artist, like mixed martial arts and just being being young, being physically able and fast and athletic. I've realized like all of the movies we've seen that have martial arts and fighting people, they're more accurate now than in the beginning. I'm going to, try to make sense of this, but in the beginning of the MMA revolution. What do you mean by that? Because the beginning of the MMA revolution was essentially seeing two people actually fight. Like, that hasn't been done before the the revolution on a a large scale. 
Hori and Gracie made this thing called the UFC and then, you know, put these styles against each other, right? And then it started, people started realizing like, wow, so all that we've been lied to. Yeah. And and you can hear a lot of the, in the beginning, they're like, you can't do any of these other, those are flashy, you know, uh, I'm not going to mention systems, but like, that's not going to work. The, the movies lied to us. And the reality, like now that we've seen it progress and move on, you can do anything. Yeah. You can make it work. And, 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 the, and the foot sweep is one of those techniques that you're like, no, this is impossible to someone who doesn't understand it. You know, it's in movies alone, but I can do it. And I've done it on many times on untrained people who go, hey, Dave, like you do martial arts, right? And I go, yeah. My co- I used to do this on my cousins when I was younger. But anyway, and I would throw them all over the place. And they, they would just be like, they, their minds couldn't wrap around, you know, it, like you said, it's like magic. Like, how do you do, how do you get the timing down? How do you do this? Well, you do it over and over again. You can accomplish anything. Rocket science is not rocket science if, if you're a rocket scientist. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if you've done it over and over and over again. But uh, I've seen guys, you know that Street Fighter Two spin move where the guy lowers his level and then spins and kicks? Sure, yeah. I've seen guys do that in sparring and knock each other down and then go over and punch them in the head. <laughs> in MMA, in high-level MMA. In, in high-level MMA. Well, you, I mean, you see that in the early, early UFC, we're talking, I guess, what, 92, 93? No, it would have been after that. It would have been probably, yeah. Around, 92, I think, is when it... It was around that time. Yeah. For a few years, if you got mounted, you just tapped. Over. Oh, no, it's over. Checkmate. Over. I'm done. I mean, that doesn't exist anymore, right? I mean, that's it, no. that's the, the idea. I mean, your your manager would kill you. <laughs> you know, if you were just like, he mattered me, I had to tap. That doesn't happen now. And then you have people doing, I'm blanking on his name, uh, Anthony Pettis, was it? No, I don't know if it was Pettis who did like the Matrix kick off the side yeah. of the octagon. Who was the first? It might have been Jose Aldo. I don't know. And uh, I think he has, was it Taekwondo back Might have been Pettis, yeah. Yeah, Pettis did the Matrix kick. You can do anything you want. Yeah, yeah. You can run up the wall, jump off of it, and punch someone in the head and knock them out. And it's happened. Yeah. That's what's amazing about fighting. Even if you're not a fan, like, what can the human body do if you give them this set of rules and and inspiration to be a champion and then go? Incentive too, right? I mean, you see a direct correlation in any sport with the amount of money that comes in and the amount of talent that comes out because you have people now who have since they were five years old in the United States been training in jujitsu and then shortly thereafter MMA. You know, I remember I was talking to, we were, we were chatting about Jocko, right. <laughs> Jocko Willink, former Navy SEAL commander who's been on this podcast. And he was showing me at one point a video of his son sparring in jujitsu. And uh, Jocko himself is a black belt and trains MMA competitors in his spare time. And I said, oh, that's amazing. How old is your son? 12. How long has he been doing jujitsu? 12 years. <laughs> And And he's 12. It's like, wow. (laughs) Throw that fetus. Throw that fetus on the mats. Uh, And uh, so the the level and the incentives are there, right? To fuel rapid evolution in the sport. Uh, What has been, what is your job in a corner? When you're cornering a professional fighter in a fight? It's to be simple. We don't, you know, he's... And generally, you can have three corners, but like, generally, the fighter is going to hear one guy, mm-hmm. and it depends on the guy. Like, they are very accustomed to one; they have that channel, 
So even though there's three people, one guy generally will talk during the fight. That's during the fight. So they make that connection, that verbal connection. They, they kind Does of that tend to be the person it. who has spoken to them during sparring? Also? Yes, and there's other variables. Like sometimes it's just their voice. Their voice is easy to pick up because you have all the so noise and just like Bob Cook. Mm-hmm. You know Bob Cook, sure. Crazy Bob Cook. Oh, yeah. He's one of my biggest mentors in the uh, MMA uh, field. Probably one of the best corners in the world. Uh, you can hear him no matter what. He's got a distinct voice where you're going to hear it. If it's like a uh, rougher voice, it kind of just, it's like white noise. Just gets lost. You know? So that's one variable. The other variable is who, who, who are they comfortable with? Like, you know, you can build this camaraderie um, with somebody who's maybe not even there in, in training camp very often, but you have this trust. And you want them in your in, in your corner kind of thing. What do you think contributes to that? I think it could have been past training sessions. It could have been um, they they met on a they just connected naturally through their relationship. It could be their brother, you know, like Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they have that kind of connection. Side note, just to further encourage YouTube shenanigans, uh, what is the best video? that people could find of you sparring with your brother? Uh, there's a video. I don't even remember the name of it, but it's Camarillo Brothers sparring demo something. something I mean, you can other. find it. We were just way back. But uh, but your brother, just as some context, he's, good martial artist. Yeah, he's... <laughs> well, you just, you got to understand my, like my background. I was forced into martial arts. Like I was pretty much programmed to be who I am today. Like my parents, I think, were brilliant um, in that they put us in martial arts and it became like brushing our teeth. Like you're not going to get out of brushing your teeth. You're not going to get out of going to school, right, as a kid. You're not going to get out of doing judo. Is like, your brother older no, or younger? He's older. And so we grew up with that. Like we were each other's best training partners. Four years apart, which is totally unfair. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. the physical advantages are just too far away for me to match which is how mean the younger brother tends to be, which is how it is. Um, but he's a phenomenal judoka, does jiu-jitsu, black belt. Like th- he does those foot sweeps, throws people, just destroys people. He, he's a vigilante. Like he went after a fugitive that <laughs> crashed in, in front of his academy. Did you hear about this? It was all over national news. I saw, I saw a photo of it on your Instagram. It's absolutely But I didn't get the story. What There's happened? another photo where he's posing like he's a superhero in his gi. Just joking, but it's like he what just happened? finished. So he has an academy in Bakersfield, downtown Bakersfield. He just finished his class and he walks outside just to get a breath of fresh air, whatever it is. And boom, this car runs into, at the light, runs into this other car. The guy jumps out, who uh, initiated the accident, runs, starts running down the street. The lady in the other car yells and screams, he's getting away. There's a helicopter there with a spotlight down going. So he's like, in his head, he's like, okay, this is, I don't know, a a crime scene. Like, this is a, I got to go after this guy. So he assessed, like he even talked about, like, I assessed, like, does he have a weapon? And, you know, because that's dangerous when, sure. you, when you go hands-on situations like that. Runs after the guy, turns the corner, throws him on the ground, wraps him up. Cops come in and take care of the rest. He's all over the news talking about like, I do jujitsu and judo because you never know when you're going to need it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it is gi. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how ridiculous is that? Now, I, not to point out the obvious, but to those would-be vigilantes out there, this is not without its risks. 
huge right. risk. Now, just to provide a concrete example, so um, we mentioned Muay Thai. So the first gym <laughs> where I got my lecture on like, doesn't matter, just kick harder, was Fairtex. And this was uh, on Clementina at the time in San Francisco. Coincidentally, when I flew to San Francisco to have my first job interview after college, I couldn't avoid, uh, I couldn't afford, excuse me, a hotel. So I paid for a fly-in camp at Fairtex, which was cheaper. And I slept upstairs, so above the gym, in a really bad neighborhood. At the time, Clementina, which is in a nasty, nasty, it's basically between Folsom and Harrow, between 5th and 6th. Really bad neighborhood. Uh, I slept on a bunk bed with some of the other Thai guys <laughs> uh, and washed my clothing in the sink. So I have a long history with Fairtex. But the point being, not a great area. And Alex Gong, I don't know if you remember this, who yeah. owned the school at the time, car crashed into, into I think it was his car or an, another car in front of his gym. The guy takes off without stopping. Alex chases him to a stoplight and the guy pulled out and he, and he uh, smashes the window out of the car because he's pissed at this guy. Alex had a temper and the guy pulled a gun and shot him in the chest and killed yep. him on the street. I remember the date. Uh, and uh, as do I, I mean, it went to his Went to he his, was a good guy. He, he, he was, was amazing guy. too. He was an amazing fighter, an amazing guy. Um, very hot temper though. I mean, if you want to, if you want to talk about the uh, spectrum that we discussed, mm -hmm. I mean, he was on. Like, if 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 there was an altercation, Throttle it was, yeah. was going to be at DefCon Nine or whatever. yeah. And that's that's part of what I was talking about. You have to assess the situation for what it is and what it could be, mm -hmm. and that escalated outside of his control. You know, you brought, you know, a fist to a gunfight. Yeah. I mean, I, that's per, that's essentially what happened. Oh, that, so it's exactly you're just, what out, happened. you're just outgunned. Yeah. So, so I took us off. I took us totally off the rails. Uh, I don't but, even know where we're at now. I don't know. This is this is the state <laughs> of my podcast. It's just like watch. It's like watching Memento, but with with like 15 different script writers. Uh, <laughs> I think we were talking about what the hell were we talking about? We were talking about cornering. Yes. What do I do in the corner? Simple. And somehow your brother came up. Uh, and could you give me an example of oh, camaraderie? I think this is how we got onto it. So when you're in a corner, what would an example of simple be? Because these guys have massive technical experience. Yeah. They've put in a ton of training time. What are the types of things that you've seen prove very useful? Uh, just an example of, you know, get in boxing range. I mean, this is kind of a little technical, but like if, if our, if the fighter, our opponent is, using a lot of kicks, you don't want to be in kicking range, which is essentially a little bit further away from boxing range because your, your legs are longer than your arms generally, right? So get in, get in boxing range. And sometimes you have to remind them to get in that range because that's where you're most effective because we're seeing who's effective, who's not, why. And so everything we say is very simple. Boxing range, get in boxing range. And they'll make those adjustments or they don't. You know, sometimes, you know, depending on the fighter, some are, I would say, quicker to adjust than others, we'll just say, right? Not that they're big-headed, they just, you know, I think it comes more naturally. Um, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, they're tending to fall, you know? Um, just keeping it real simple, you know, just reminding them of kind of what's going on the story and how to react to it. Um, I, I say this a lot also, like if I like how things are going, stay on it. Stay on it. It's working. Stay on it. Because you're getting hit no matter what. If you go first round, second round, you're gonna, if you do MMA, you're getting hit. 
And sometimes when you get hit, you don't realize how much you're hitting them. Right. You change your tactic even though percentage-wise you're beating the living hell out of them. Right. Because there's this, in the back of your head, I mean, it's a four-ounce glove, right? So in the back of your head, like anyone can knock anyone out. You know what I mean? Like you can take the greatest striker in the world and a guy who struggles with striking and if he's first, it's simple math and you get hit good and you, you can go down. Um, so we just kind of just assess the situation for what it is and just throw tidbits out of here's my advice. You know what I mean? Hopefully you take it. Maybe you don't. And then if things go bad, we adjust. Now, when the round ends and we get into the corner and start talking, we depends on how the round went. If it was close, we say, hey, you lost that round. So even if we think we won the round, but it was really, really close, we tell them it's close or you lost. So you need to go in the second round going, okay, I'm down one already. And it's generally a three-round fight. If they show tendencies and everyone has a breaking point, every fighter has a breaking point. Some are just, you know, they can, they can handle more than others. Maybe it's genetic, I don't know. Um, but if they start nearing their breaking point, you calm them down. You tell them how great that last round. You're, you're doing good. No, you weathered the storm. Like yeah, you, by breaking point, is this physical breaking point or just psychological? They breaking go point? hand in hand. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Like physical could be I'm getting tired, or I didn't get a good warm up on the first round, or I'm starting to get to the third round and now I'm exhausted. Whatever it is, or it's like man, that that shin kick really hurt, or that liver punch really really hurt, and and it's poker face constantly because it's like shark. It's like uh, blood in the water to a shark. If you show that you've been uh, if you've been hurt, yeah, you're showing your hand. Well, it reminds me of uh, I remember I was watching the World Cup soccer and I was getting f- just infuriated by all these slow motion replays of fake injuries. And this this rugby player from uh, New Zealand piped up on Twitter and he said, "Rugby is ninety minutes of pretending you're not hurt, and soccer is ninety minutes of pretending you are hurt." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what? I like your side note because I'm no. It's hard for me to justify sometimes because I used to be a soccer fan. And I'm like, man, they fall, they play the, the rules so much. They fall so much. It's hard for me to justify it. I'm traveling to New Zealand and meeting, you know, you know, a, a legend from the All Blacks. All Blacks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I'm like, what do I say? Like, I'm a soccer fan? They're like, well, <laughs> okay, that's cool. That's cute. You know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's the only team sport where you can have cauliflower ear, you know? <laughs> rugby that's true um so you anyway. uh so if uh they're nearing their breaking point you have to calm them down you have to calm them down man you have to distract them like a baby how do you how do you do it like you distract like it, okay so how does a, a baby learn pain by how their parents react when they fall down mm-hmm. so your parents go over there go you're all right get up let's go come on you're good man it's kind of like that you're distracting them or you're just Hey man, you're good, man. You're good. Now, here's what I want. Right. So you're you're kind of you're transitioning to that you're okay and here's what I want out of this next round. Because you have to remind them they're invincible. And that's whether they are or not. Yeah. You know, and everyone's different. Like you can have world champions in MMA and they're not very tough relatively on the big scale of all of the fighters that exist. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's the laziest, you know, what, what's a, like a, like a military guy. Like you think of the high elite military guys, there's a spectrum for everything. Mm -hmm. There's the Jocko Willink. And then there's like someone who may not be that 
you know, on it, whatever that, whatever that means. Sure. And so you have to know that going in and understand his strengths and weaknesses and understand how he'll react to the way you talk to him. Mm-hmm. And then you got to hit that note and you're stressed out because it's, it's a weird thing. You have to like, like I go to the, this guy's weddings and I play with his kids and then I got to go see him get almost knocked out in front of thousands of people. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not war, but it's, it's in your face and it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not table tennis either. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It would be a, yeah, particularly vicious form of table tennis. I'm not sure what that would look like, but yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, how has that influenced or how, how have all of these experiences impacted your thoughts on parenting? If at all. And yeah. Maybe no. the answer is not much. But when you say all all of these experiences, I mean I, I grew up, like I said, with no choice, do martial arts, like and I see the extreme value in it. I mean, obviously I'm biased. I'm a car salesman and you come in with a you know, a, a dented fender, you know, you need a new car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like um I I I call it like this. When when we talk about like kids who go through training hardcore training like I have physically on a physical realm and many times on a mental realm they are so beyond their peers you know like try to bully one of my students it's it's just it's not going to happen like you're not going to be able to um so when we talk about parenting it's like I'm trying to find the balance between the pressure that I experienced as a child and as a child of my parents and as a child of my parents who wanted me to compete and my dad wanted me to be an Olympian with the variables that exist today that didn't then. What do you mean by that? Do you think the crop of individuals trying to get a job today are different than they were 40 years ago? The With different thresholds and different, I would say, I would, tendencies. I would to, have to imagine, yes, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know anything right. like that but but uh all i know is i know the difference between someone who's trained through an extended period of time and where they were when they walked in my door and so i know that training is going to be a part of my son's life for example uh i don't think that should be an option you At mean this, you mean the it shouldn't be an option to opt out of that right mm-hmm. like it's not an option for me for for a child to go to school it's the same with training Mm-hmm. in my household right because we understand the, the importance of it mm-hmm. and so i think the the single most though experience though that i've that has helped me you know i'm a new father what do i know i'm a white belt right now but is teaching kids and seeing the differences and seeing multiple kids come in starting from zero and even seeing that line of zero being totally different mm-hmm. and scaling and them having different strengths and weaknesses at the start. And it started reminding me, like, this isn't just nature or nurture. It's a combination of the two. I sincerely believe all kids are different genetically. And if they're, if they're different genetically, then they're different physically as well. I mean, uh, emotionally and physically. They have to be. Yeah. So I look at these little kids that just start, and some of them are animals super fast, very prone to do things that are athletic. And then I see other kids that are on the other side of the spectrum. There is a spectrum. And so with my son and me being a parent, I don't know what I, I've got to work with right, yet. the materials yet. How old is your son? It's gonna, he's, uh, 
eight months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, I'm a white, like I said. Yeah. My first stripe is coming pretty soon. <laughs> white belt first stripe. So when, uh, when we were chatting earlier, uh, having coffee, you were talking about how there's, there's always another level, right? Who is the most uh, impressive person or who has impressed you the most in jiu-jitsu when you've sparred with them? Well, the GOAT, it's Marcelo Garcia. Um, and all of my experiences, I say that with confidence because I train with Rafa Mendez as well. Who, who is tied Rafa? Me in knots. Who is Rafa Mendez? Rafa Mendez is, I don't know, 13, 14 time world champion. I don't know. In different, he's, uh, I think, a six time gi, which is the uh, uniform IBJJF, International Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Federation world champion, which is the biggest stage in Jiu Jitsu. They don't have Olympics. If there was an Olympics, he'd be six time gold medalist in the Olympics or whatever it is. Um, but then again, that's every four years. So he'd be like 42 right now. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, they both tied me in knots, but like, I just think Marcelo, because he can do what he does almost regardless of how much you weigh and your size. And, yeah. you know, whereas Rafa tends to s- stick to his size, yeah. Marcelo Garcia is like, and this is why I admire him so much. I don't care who's on the other side. I don't care who's walking in. I don't care if, you know, the lights are on in the arena. I got to my spot and then here comes thud, thud like Jurassic Park. He's so big making, you know what I mean? Like totally. doors open and here's this behemoth with horns and drooling and he's going to go in there. Okay, cool. I'm going to take his back and choke him out. Yeah. And then he goes and does that. What did it, so I've spent some time with Marcelo because he co-owns his school with a very close friend of mine, Josh Waitskin. Waitskin. I've, yeah. I've listened to your, your your talks with him. Yeah. Brilliant Wait, guy. He is, he's amazing. Really good dad too. I can help him with chess if you want, if you, uh, <laughs> if you got his number or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so for those who don't know Josh, uh, he's been on the podcast twice. He was the inspiration for searching for Bobby Fischer, both the book and the movie. Considered a chess prodigy, but very skilled uh jiu-jitsu black belt dedicated yeah black belt under marcelo and uh world champion in tai chi push hands as well among many other skills but marcelo just to your point i remember chatting with him at some point nicest guy ever i mean super nice guy no attitude whatsoever no ego i mean like to the just the friendliest guy you'll ever meet and uh he was saying or maybe josh was telling me that marcelo never practices anything that won't work on a 300 pound black belt he just that's it it's like if the technique if it's something he's going to practice and put time into on the mat it has to work against someone who's twice his size and extremely technical that's that universal mentality yeah that's outstanding and uh so what is it what does it feel like to spar with because i mean i have no i i can't if sparring like him sparring with me is like a polar bear versus uh a shih tzu. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, so, what well, is, many black belts will say the same thing. Yeah. Uh, many black belts will say the same thing about... About Marcelo Garcia, training with Marcelo. They might as well be a white belt. Wow. And so, like, I think one of your guests I was listening to talked about, like, there are people that just jump on the mat and they're just super talented and they're they're made for it. BJ yeah. Penn, yeah. Marcelo Garcia, Rafa Mendez. And so it, it gets difficult to track, like when you're a new student, like who should you listen to? Because it's growing so much because your idols are these freaks of nature, you know, uh, you know, I know firsthand. Yeah. But how is it rolling with him? It's a situation because I, I'm, I'm 
genetically, I would say prone to speed. Like I'm pretty fast and in judo, I, I got very fast. And I remember one of the first times we engaged, I was in a good position. And my mind's like, wow, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> and then he's on my back. <laughs> and so it's like, it's that split second where you're like, you're, I'm doing good. Everything is going great. And then like, I'm like, am I going to tap now? Or am I going <laughs> to fight this stupid grip that he has on my neck? Um, and, he, and then he taps me. So it's, it's one of those things where you have to be aggressive, but not aggressive. Yeah. Because it doesn't seem like you can get a foothold on what mode and tempo is going to work for this individual in front of you but we had some good battles like we had a lot of fun like the nogi i had a lot of fun rolling with him but and i was younger i was like 31 at the time so i was like getting ready for my last match in competition so i was in good shape and so that's why it, it was important for me to be in good shape to train with him on that level but uh yeah i mean it's it's amazing it's it's amazing to be able to that's what one of the things about jiu-jitsu is like if you're in a soccer or uh or, or football or basketball, you know, you can't meet Michael Jordan just because you want to. Right. You, you can't just call him on the phone and go take a seminar or go face to face with him. That's not going to happen. But you can go take a lesson from this guy. Yeah, it's incredible. I who's mean, yeah. the GOAT, the, the greatest of all time. I was wondering what the hell you meant by that. <laughs> the goat. the goat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Greatest of all time. Yeah. Greatest of all time. Yeah. Yeah. He, I had I mean, to look that up, too. Yeah. People <laughs> People consider him like the Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, the you know, fill-in-the-blank icon of any sport combined. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, heard a funny story about Marcelo that you'll appreciate, just the, the given the freak of nature comment. He went to a rock climbing gym, and he's not a rock climber, but he went to a rock climbing gym with a friend, and... Uh, they had a, what's called a dynamometer there. It measures grip strength. And these guys are like straining, faces red, and they're, you know, these, these are beasts. I mean, these guys are incredibly strong. And Marcelo, they give to Marcelo, and he's like, hmm, pop, and just breaks it. <laughs> and they're like, uh, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> Never touched one before in his life. And they're like, whoa, okay, yeah, this guy's different. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And that that will translate to other things, you know? Yeah. And, uh, he, what, what, one thing that really impressed me about Marcelo and I haven't spent a ton of time with him, but just watching him teach and watching him move his, you know, one of his nicknames is the master of the scramble, but he thinks about the in-between spaces as much as he thinks about the positions, which is really interesting. Like he thinks of the transition between two positions as a position and right. thinks a lot about how to exploit that space. Uh, it's a trip. Yeah, yeah. it's a trip. <laughs> that, that's that's about that's what we talk about with being like a step ahead planning, but that stuff's not thought. Yeah, it's it's reaction. Like he's it's, that's locked and loaded for him. Yeah, yeah. He's, There's no really like delay. Oh no, no no no. So no delay whatsoever. Uh, let me ask a couple of. I guess you call these rapid fire questions. They're going to seem like non sequiturs. The answers don't need to be uh, short, rather they can be as long as they need to. But are, are there any particular books that you've gifted the most to other people besides uh, your own? I mean, besides the three that you you put me on, the Magic of Thinking Big, the eighty twenty principle, the E Myth. The E Myth was huge. I mean, particularly but, for am your I type cheating? Of but you're the one that yeah, because I, I was starting my business at the time. You're like, hey, Dave, read this book. Um, and even after reading the book, essentially the E is the entrepreneur who's trying to do everything. Mm -hmm. And then sales fall because you're... The bottleneck. Yeah, you're bottleneck. You're, 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 uh, 
having difficulties doing everything with efficiency. And it's hard to, type A personality is hard to let go. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to like relinquish control, but now I'm much better at like, I don't want to do anything. (laughs) It's weird sometimes. Um, Well, you were asking me about the magic or you noted the magic thinking big, which is sitting on my shelf here in my living room face out. And then you asked about tribe, which is also faced out by Sebastian Younger. And uh, I made the comment that I've organized and I think it's functional OCD. Maybe it's not technical OCD, but all of my books are very particularly ordered on my bookshelf and they're facing out. And so I have uh, the books that are facing outermost are intended to elicit certain thoughts or remind me of certain things. So for those people curious, I have Tribe, Sebastian Younger, Gratitude by Oliver Sacks, Less is More, which is an anthology of stoic quotes and thoughts on minimalism, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, a Japanese book about Tsume Shogi, which is a long story, Japanese chess book, The Magic of Thinking Big, Dune by Frank Herbert, and then Zorba the Greek. Uh, So you mentioned... The Magic Thinking Big, you mentioned the E-Myth, and then the 80-20 principle. 80-20, which I also have up there at the very end. Which can be applied to anything. But uh, I would say The Art of Wars is another one I have to mention. You know, I have one of your books here, by the way. It's a book by Clausewitz on the art of warfare. <laughs> I've had it since you were at my house in Willow Glen. You, le- left, it you left it there. And I've, I've traveled with it now <laughs> for 12 years. Good book. I, I try to find like Something that will like if I gotta work out, I listen to Slayer. Which album? The newest, the latest one. Oh, I haven't heard that. It's you can always count on them. <laughs> them and Tool. Yeah, Slayer's but Slayer's got some longevity. But the thing is, is like, it's a mood creator. It creates a mood. Like, like if I gotta lift heavy things up and down again, which is seems ridiculous and redundant, but you know, I get strong and all that, but I, I got to go in with an attitude of like, I, I need to smash this. So I got to, that's, that's one of the things I use day to day. I try to, I try to use a mode altering something, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if I need to smash something, it's Slayer. If I need to relax and calm down, I'll listen to uh, 80s pop, something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> are we talking MJ? What are we, what are we talking about? Prince, what's your go-to? Prince is great. I just go random. Go. <laughs> so you listening to Pandora or how do you Pandora? Yeah. What's Slayer, what's, what's your station? I the album. Um, I'm sorry. So it's 80s pop. That's 80s the pop. that's the station. It's 80s pop. That's what it is. Yeah. Every morning. Yeah. I try every morning. It's hard to be upset when you're listening to Prince. Yeah. When I first started meditating, and this isn't that long ago, that was probably whatever three years ago. Let's say the way I started is a friend recommended I listen to one song in the morning and just lean against the wall and focus on my breathing for the length of the song. So I listen to It's Time to Party Like It's 1999. It's hard to be upset with the world or depressed if it's, you're listening it, to that song. It's impossible. <laughs> that whole Batman soundtrack was Prince. Oh, that's true. That was the best thing about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I liked it too. Like uh, do you have any favorite... Oh, you know what? I should thank you. So you, you mentioned a couple of books that I introduced you to. I'll thank you for two movies that you introduced me to. One... I've mentioned before, still one of my favorites, Shaun of the Dead. Great movie. Must have. And then there was another one that I saw at, I want to say it was a birthday party for you. Is it Just Friends? Is that what it is? Great movie. Oh my God. If you haven't seen just so good. Christmas family wholesome movie. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds. I'm busy too, you dick. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you need to see the movie. (laughs) 
Hot Fuzz. Uh, hot we went to the premiere. Oh, that's right. We went to the premiere of Hot Fuzz after Shaun of the Dead uh, had already embedded itself in my brain. So do you have any other favorite uh, movies or, or documentaries? John Carpenter's The Thing without even skipping a beat or... Never seen it. Hesitating? Really? Yeah. I think 84? Yeah, that's a movie that... Kurt if, Russell? If my, if, my mind ser- if my memory serves me right, took a while to become sort of a cult classic, right? It wasn't... I don't think it was a hit off the bat. To me, it's probably top three in the world that, you know, of all genres. It, it's the sense of paranoia. You don't really know what's going on. And you can nerd out. There's some people that I like really nerd out on step to step what's happening, different clothing moved. And just, you know, when the nerds get a hold of something, you, oh, it's just amazing. That movie is amazing. And it's, I mean, you shouldn't see it when you're eight years old, which is when I saw it, but I think I turned out fine. Uh, and then, uh, the other John Carpenter movie, um, Big Trouble in Little China. That's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. That's why my wife is Chinese. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. So, uh, from Taiwan, and yes, you, or Taiwanese, I should say, and you enjoy spending time in Taiwan. One of my favorite places. Taipei, uh, specifically, but yeah, Taiwan. I love Taiwan. I love being out of the country just to be out of the country. Um, but Taipei is like Japan, but the Chinese version of, of, of Shinjuku, maybe, you know. It's so much fun. I mean, I haven't been back in probably 10 years, and I'm dying to go back. Because you have, for those people who haven't been, a lot of the culture that was in mainland China prior to the Cultural Revolution was effectively shuttled down to Taiwan. And then you had, you know, the Japanese uh, influence, of course, so you have this very unique combination of rich cultural heritage, incredible food, tropical climate, and etiquette. It's just a politeness. It's it's such a wonderful combination. And uh, and maybe this is common in other parts of China, although I haven't experienced it myself. It's like Argentina in the sense that people go late there. They have the night markets. And I remember going into restaurants at like 11, 12, 1 o'clock, and families would just roll up with their strollers. And I'm like, wow, all right, these people know how to party. You can live and die in a single block area because it has everything you need. Doctor, optometrist, you can give birth, grocery store, everything in one little block. Good old Taipei. Taipei. Uh, Do you have any quotes or mantras that you think of often or live your life by or favorite quotes yes from a friend of mine i was training just a bunch of military guys right in a room and i was kind of new to this so i was a little nervous but teaching my class doing my thing and they were doing a uh, like a guard pass drill so they're all actively fighting each other one on top one on bottom and it's my job to kind of reinforce like excitement in people and let them know they're doing well when they're doing well and be positively critical when, when I need them to adjust to behavior. So I'm walking around doing my thing and I uh, get to a group and I go, we'll call him Johnny. And I go, Johnny, that was the best guard passing I've seen all day. That was awesome. Let's keep it going. And I start walking and he stops the fight, stands up turns to me and says, I don't need any fucking positive reinforcement. <laughs> <laughs> turns back and jumps in and fights the guy again. 
without missing a beat. And I remember being stunned, and I'm normally not stunned. You can say anything. And when I teach a class and I stopped and I'm like, my mind's like, keep walking, (laughs) you know? And I remember dwelling on it and I'm like, the first thing that came to my head is like, where the hell am I right now? Like, I've never heard that in my life. I don't need positive reinforcement. What are you, an alien? (laughs) Uh, And that has just stuck with me and and. I don't mean to curse, but you can't say it without cursing. Like you no, just can't. This is not Disney program. You know what I mean? Like you can, you, can you, can't, it, you can't. That's how it was said, and that's the power, and that's how I remember it, and that's how it influences me. And literally, like I get charged just thinking about it. And how does it influence you? Because it reminds me I'm not as good as I I need to be. You mean because just mentally? I, th- I think mentally everything. Like I really think that I shouldn't need positive reinforcement. I should do a task because I like the task. It's creative for me. So it's, you know, intellectually stimulating and I, it's my job and I'm moving forward and I'm helping people. And then I move on to another task. Once I, once I complete that task, I need to move on to another task and not sit there and wait around for the treat. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's not Halloween every day. Like I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I don't need, but when I heard that, I'm like, I don't have the experiences this guy has and that's fine. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But I'm going to draw upon that, and in my times of weakness, I'm going to say it as loud as I can and remind myself uh, how great you can be as a human being. I like that. That's a good. That's a good one. I remember. I'm going to make a shirt. I got to make a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to your students. <laughs> I uh, I remember at one point uh, <laughs> I was talking to my first. My, my first direct report, I really developed a relationship. First job out of college, the VP of sales. So I was trying to sell mass data storage to companies like DreamWorks and American Airlines and stuff. These storage area networks, as they were called at the time, Fiber Channel. And I prepared for my, my first... He was known as a ball buster, and he'd just been hired, brought into the company, and, and people were kind of walking on eggshells because they're like, yeah, this guy's temper. He's really good at what he does. He's been through three IPOs. He's incredible, but like we don't know what to make of him. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I spent all this time preparing because I had a handful of accounts to report to him. And, you know, I came out of Princeton, so I'm really wordy and verbose and just overcomplicating everything. So I bring in this just massive stack of stuff that I'm basically intending to read to him. <laughs> and I remember, I'm like, I'm like, in extremely on edge and I sit down and being weirdly formal and then I, I start reading this crap and uh, I get about two minutes into it and he goes, Tim, Tim. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah yes, sir. Or whatever. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, I don't need the story. I just need the next steps. And another thing he would say, he's like, I don't need the good news. The good news takes care of itself. What's going wrong? <laughs> and so, I was <laughs> so awesome. Uh, I like just to kind of go back to these, these are similar stories. Like the idea where you're wasting my time with compliments and the weather is good. Like maybe it's my personality, your personality, maybe let's get to the point. Like, and the other thing is whatever I say, you're not going to be butthurt. <laughs> right. You know, like I've been in environments where I was even like called out in front of a bunch of people and, and I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Because Wait, 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 wait. Th- in this I, I environment, hear, I we wanna, don't... I want to hear about this. We don't get bu- butthurt. Like, 
<laughs> it does. By the way, that's an expression that a lot of engineers here have started using, and they don't. <laughs> Is that just engineers? I don't know. No, it's not just engineers. It's but the for whatever reason, it's become really popular. And one of my buddies runs this huge company, and he had to like have a. He's like, "Look, I'm not really pl- political correctness guy, but like, if you walk in to give a presentation, like 50 people who are not part of your little like." cave clan of five hardcore engineers like you can't say butthurt to everybody guys is that is that bad (laughs) no seriously like i don't even what does that mean like someone kicked you in the butt or something no no (laughs) i'm I'm making hand signals but the uh so 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 this is this is a light bulb going off but uh so what you wait you said you were dressed down in front of i didn't i know no no you're good you're good (laughs) so So it's just an environment you know when you train no, no, but what happened? Can you talk about it? You were like called out or, or dressed down or something. Yeah, so I was just, I was advising on a specific path of training, you know. like This is in the military context. Military context. Let's do some training with this. Let's do it with, in this situation and let's do it with this gear on and this and whatever. And he's like, no, we don't do that. That's bad. You'll get hurt. And then it was like, same guy, by the way. And then just moving on, I'm like, all right. And then I just went to the next thing. Yeah. Because it's like, and I may not have been there if I hadn't been surrounded in that environment. It has really changed me. Yeah. Well, so you became you, the average of the five people you associate with most. I, I uh, was listening to your drunk dialing last night. And that's exactly <laughs> what you said. The first guy's like, how do I raise my kids? And you're like, okay, make sure they're surrounding themselves with people. Um, sometimes you have to check yourself and do, you know, uh-huh. but that's, that's so true. You, you, you become who you're surrounded by and these experiences have just motivated me and just blown. I was telling you this morning, I'm like, I'm happier now than I've ever been. Why? The stars are becoming aligned, like for the first time, like I'm learning, like, yes, I do have control over this, this, and this, and I need to make this change and, and adopt this and um, carry that residue of awesomeness. And, you know, to avoid the earlier comment, uh, sensitivity that I think... <laughs> could cloud your judgment <laughs> that a, did i do a good job on that that was good that was a good reco- nice nice recovery thank you thank you i have a book for you by the way i'm gonna Excellent. give you a copy i have a stack of these copies about face and we'll take it by uh it is hackworth yeah david hackworth that is jocko's favorite book beautiful uh okay if you had a billboard and you can put anything on it gigantic billboard so in other words if you have a, like a message but like a short message you want to get out to the world what would you put on it? Oh. Aside from you do not need positive reinforcement. Man, that's got to be the best. Um, <laughs> it could be that. I think it would just be, you know, I can't wait for Christmas. <laughs> you do love it's Christmas. My, it's my favorite time of year. Do right you, now, the, the trifecta. Do you listen? Wait, Halloween, what? Thanksgiving, Christmas. Rapid fire. Like spikes and like smiles you know, from <laughs> coming my way. Like, Do you listen to... A, Okay, this is a, this is an important question. Uh, do you only listen to Christmas carols very close to Christmas? Okay, so what's your policy? It depends. I think I start mid November. Mid November, which is early. It's early. I, but I, it's not. I, I still early. rock the same way. I I, I picked up finally because I have a Christmas cup for coffee and I used it today. <laughs> and I'm like, so I you, you, like, wait, you were so you I, retire, I like reserving things. So you retire that cup for the rest 100%. of the year. Oh yeah. What does the Christmas cup look like? It's just got like a reindeer and like a Christmas tree on it. And it's beautiful. It's my favorite coffee cup. And like, so when we talk about like, like the, those biohacks that really elevate your mood and all that, when I have that and it's 
you can smell the cold. You know what I'm talking sure, about? Sure, I get it. The new cold coming in, you know, mm-hmm. the change of weather. And you know families around, and now I have my son and my family. It's just like the greatest thing in the world. Winds all around. Like you just, yeah, just, I want to hug everybody. Yeah. I and know. then choke them. Hug them and then choke them. It's 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 a it's a fine line. You can go from like, hu- you can go from hugging to choking really well, quickly with my Dave. Mom growing up was like trying to throw her on the ground. You know what I mean? Like she was so tough. You know what I mean? Like there was no real hugs. It was hug to gain proper hand position. And so wait, then did put- you was your mom a judoka as well? No, she was just super tough. <laughs> she was just a sniper. She just snipe L four hundred here, yards. and that was dinner. Uh. Can't wait for Christmas. That's a good one. I can't wait for Christmas. It's true. Uh, what are you doing for Christmas? What do you do, I'm, what do, you do normally? Well, I, I, I've taken my parents. You know, my parents are getting older. And uh, I took a hard look. I read a book. And it's one of those books where you learn kind of 50% of what you need to know from the title. But it's still powerful. And I want to say it was something like... This is not it, but it's happier spending. And it was it was it was written by I think it was two social scientists or two sociologists, and not very hard science, but looking at how you can spend money more effectively to improve the quality of your life. Looking at the categories, Investing. the types of experiences and purchases okay. that, based on studies, however um, flimsy. Uh, based on the data that is available, that are available for those nerds, uh, what type of purchases are going to improve your quality of life? And I read a piece by Tim Urban, I think is his name, pretty sure, on a site called Wait But Why, which is brilliant. And uh, I want to say it was called The Tail End. And it had a huge impact on me. It was recommended to me by another person who's been on the podcast, Matt Mullenweg, really impressive guy. And it effectively said by the time, and I'm paraphrasing here, by the time you're 18, you have already passed something like 90% of the total hours you will ever spend with your parents before they die. It was something like that. And it, it shows you in both graphics and prose and math how little time you have left with your parents on the planet in terms of total hours. And so for the last few years, I've uh, taken my parents on trips for Christmas to places that they might not, well, that they otherwise wouldn't visit or couldn't visit. Uh, So we took a trip to uh, Eleuthera in the Bahamas, where my parents used to spend a lot of time, long, long time ago, when my grandparents were still around, but hadn't been back in whatever it was, 20, 30 years, and uh, spent uh, another Christmas in Iceland. My mom had always wanted to see the Northern Lights for her entire life. And I just looked at my expenditures and I was like, even if I had to dial back in other areas, yes, it's not, it's going to be expensive, manageably so, but not inexpensive. Uh, but so what? I mean, what am I saving for? Right. And uh, I tend to spend, I don't spend a whole lot of money. I don't have an exorbitant lifestyle. I don't own a car. I don't have extremely expensive habits. Uh, so for the last two years, we've done that, but uh, I'm really eager to have a Christmas at home, meaning at my parents' place. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we're going we're gonna to stay home this year. So that's what I'm doing for Christmas this year. But um, if you, let's see, how old are you now? 40. 40. So what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self, if anything? And what are you doing at 30? Uh, what was I doing at 30? Yeah. Like where, where were you? What were you up to? I think I was realizing and 
taking, I would say, listening to some really close people and good advice to create my own small little empire, essentially, you know, my guerrilla jiu-jitsu, you know, create academies and just really, really, you're no longer a competitor, be the best instructor you can be kind of thing. Um, I, I think the best advice I would give myself is just when I say like, like enjoy yourself more, not, not have fun more, but enjoy yourself more. And I think there's a difference having, I've had so much fun in my life. Fun to me are like quick spikes of parties or whatever, whatever it is, right. celebrating this or whatever. Um, but enjoying it is, I was, I would say more sustainable. And like I had, you know, it, I, I've had issues of just focusing too much on what I'm not in control of, what I'm not doing, what I should be doing um, instead of, and I learned this through the years, but instead of uh, just dialing in what will make me sustainably happy. So to get there quicker, I think that's the best way I would say it is, man, enjoy yourself. Like you have a lot going on. Not that, you know, that whole thing like, oh, things could be worse. No, no, no. You have a lot of greatness going on. A lot of good stuff surrounding you. A lot of good people, an amazing family. Um, like you talk about being more mindful, you know, of, of, of the goodness in your life. And I think uh, enjoying life, like enjoy, bro, enjoy life, man. Yeah, You're doing appreciating good. it. You know, appreciating it. And I think I've learned that now. I wish I had learned it when I was 30 or maybe 20. But uh, that's number one. You know, I, you know yeah, that's got to be it. You got to savor it uh, when you can. And I think for it's particularly hard for type A personalities like you or like me to do that because we're so kind of target focused, objective focused, next, next, next. Uh, I, I think that... Uh, it's something you have to train like anything else. Like anything else. Uh, Dave, we could go for hours and hours and I think we might do around two at some point. Yes. Uh, that was fun, man. This is, it's this good is, seeing you though. It's great seeing you too. It's been, it's been, it's been so long. I know, I know. I miss you, bro. I <laughs> miss, miss you too, man. Uh, before we cut out, uh, favorite, this is going to be such a, this is not a good question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Both gi and no gi, uh, Favorite guard pass. Favorite guard pass, just random jujitsu stuff. Gi and no gi. Gi, stack pass. Stack pass. And that's where you stack the lower part of their body on top of their upper part of their body. And you drive it down towards their spine, which is not healthy for your spine, right? I call it the pass that makes your opponent hate jujitsu. <laughs> right? The no gi pass is flying kimura. Flying Kimura. Yeah, Nogi tends to get really slippery or MMA. And so, like I, I said in my book, I said, create chaos. Now, which book is this for people? This is the one you were in. I think it was the one you were in. Yeah. Yep. What's, what's the title? Uh, submit everyone. <laughs> everyone. This, if, have you, a plan. if you want to see photos of me getting armbarred and choked <laughs> in various positions and doing some weird shit with my legs, one of my fans pointed out, I don't know why I'm like trying to figure for You'll see. It doesn't make any sense what I'm doing, but I'm getting my ass kicked anyway. So, submit everyone. Yeah, it's a flying submission. So traditionally, like you control the legs to get to the side control to score points. That's what you're talking about, referring to passing. Instead of passing, because that's what they think I'm going to do, I'm going to jump either to a guillotine or a kimura. My kimura is my favorite. My buddy Jared invented this flying kimura from 
guard and I'm like, flying what? What? Yeah, I got to do it. <laughs> I like jumping and then submitting people. Um, so I think like if things are like headed in a certain direction and people are like, this is what's going to happen. You do something totally off the wall. Ridiculous. Flying and they're not going to expect it. So. What's Jared's last name? Fearbend. He's a guerrilla jiu-jitsu black belt. Yeah. Fearbend. He's a, he's a beast. He's a really good dude. That's Minnesota. Good last he's got a great too. academy. Uh, I mean, kind of same experiences, but uh, Black Arrow Martial Arts named after, I think, a movie, like one of the Hobbit movies or something. But he's just really into like... <laughs> what is it with all the nerds converging dude, on jiu-jitsu? I only hang out with brilliant people. Then. Let me just say that. <laughs> he's one of the guys I love to nerd out with. And where can people find you online or elsewhere? Where can they get more from you? Social media, you can go Twitter and Instagram at DaveCamarillo.com or at Dave Camarillo. The dot com is gorilla jujitsu.com. G U E R R I L L A. Jujitsu. Jujitsu. J I U. J I T S U. The gorilla is more like unorthodox, crazy method of doing something. That's <laughs> right. Less, less hairy back, more ghillie suit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> very right, cool man dude. thanks dude yeah buddy this is awesome thanks so much and uh to everybody listening you can find links to everything we've talked about dave's books instagram social uh probably videos of uh, he and his brother beating the living shit out of each other and much more in the show notes which you can find at fourhourworkweek.com forward slash podcast so spell it out fourhourworkweek.com forward slash podcast and uh, as always. And until next time, thank you everybody for listening to The Tim Ferriss Show. Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, this is Five Bullet Friday. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out, just go to 4hourworkweek.com. That's 4hourworkweek.com, all spelled out, and just drop in your email, and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it.